God who would invite unholy people into your presence. And Father, we believe that we have been in your presence and that we are in your presence right now. And we would ask that you would uh, cause us to pursue your holiness. And Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak to the hearts of each person here today, the needs that exist. We know that your word and your spirit has a word for us today. And so we invite you now to, to challenge us from your word, to convict us through your Holy Spirit, and most importantly, to change us from our time with you today. In Jesus' good name we pray, amen. Amen. I want to invite you to take your Bible with me to Esther chapter 6. We're going to read one verse, the last verse from chapter 6 in just a few minutes, and then we'll jump right into chapter 7 of the book of Esther. Uh, if you have trouble finding that book, it's 659 in my Bible. I don't know about yours, uh, but it's 659 in mine. So, uh, But it's uh, the book of Esther chapter 6 as we continue to walk through this book and we are seeing how Jesus is better. And, and just let me give, just take a couple minutes to give us a really, really quick review of of where we are in this narrative at this point in time. There is a king who is in power. His name is Xerxes, Ahasuerus, whichever Persian or Greek name you, you use. And, and he is ruler of a pretty great kingdom, the Persian kingdom. And he has a wife whose name is Esther. Xerxes uh, has a right-hand man whose name is Haman. And Haman is all about power and glory and fame. And, and Haman especially wants everyone to bow down to to him, so much so that he wrote a decree and had the king sign off on it that said that whenever he entered Haman, entered a room, that the people there were to bow down and worship him as a god. If they didn't, he had the right to kill them. And the king signs off on this decree, and, and everyone does the, what this decree says. Everyone bows down except for one man whose name is Mordecai. Mordecai is also a Jew like Esther is a Jew, and Mordecai is the older cousin of Esther. He's kind of the adoptive father, and I know that you say oh, that cousin father, we're in the south, so it kind of works, uh, to where he's kind of the adoptive father of Esther, and he's going to watch over her as she is growing up and as she is now part of the, the palace and the, with the king, and, and then the king has signed his decree, Esther learns what's taken place, and, and Mordecai overhears that someone's going to try to assassinate the king. So Mordecai tells Esther, and Esther says, well, let's, uh, let, let's tell the king about it, and, and I'll go into his presence, and if I perish, I perish. So she made a decision to enter the presence of the king, and one night as she, after she has friends with the king, and, and she tells the king, I, I want to prepare a lunch for our dinner for you and Haman. And that night, uh, Mordecai has a dream. And, uh, or rather, I should, pardon me, let me back up. Xerxes, there's too many characters in the story. Xerxes wants to have a dream. He can't go to sleep. So Xerxes, as any person would, picks up this book of the Chronicles or this book of, of history. And he's reading through the book, and he reads how Mordecai foiled the plot, let people know about the assassination. King Erxes says, what's happened? What have we done for this man Mordecai? And they say, nothing. 
And the king says, so we have to do something to honor him. I tell you what, let's, let's have Mordecai Day. Let's have a day and let's, uh, let's honor him and, and uh, Haman. Let, let's, let's do this. Uh, there, Haman, there's this guy that I really want to honor. And I want to have a day for this guy. And Haman thinks, well, it's got to be me. And so Haman says, hey, let's do all this stuff and, and this, that, and the other. And, and the king says, fine. Now, the person we're going to honor, his name is Mordecai the Jew. Go fetch him. And Haman, as we saw last week in this weird, ironic twist, is the one who goes and parades uh, the Jew, Mordecai, before all the people and, and claims how great he is and treats him as a king. Haman comes home and Haman pouts to his wife and his three friends. Larry, Moe, and Curly, I think, are their names. Because that's some of, the, some of the advice that they gave him earlier on. That's where we pick up in chapter 6 and verse 14. When they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. Remember, Esther had decided that she needed to find a way to use her position of influence that God had appointed for her as queen and to use that position to benefit the people of God. Esther had made that decision to risk her life by going into the presence of the king. If I perish, I perish. And the, 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 the plot is thickening. The, the tension is rising with every minute this decree's been signed. With every minute that passes, God's people are closer and closer to death. Mordecai is on the brink of being crucified because Haman had prepared gallows to crucify Mordecai upon those gallows. And things are coming to a crescendo when chapter 7 opens up by telling us this. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther and on the second day, the second feast she'd prepared, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Queen Esther, what do you want? I will do it. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish. I don't want to die. Fair enough. And my people, let them be spared. Let my people be spared for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. This is the most important, pivotal moment of Esther's life. When she makes her request. You see, not every day or every moment is filled with such major opportunities of what can be accomplished or done. But there are times when the Holy Spirit gives us discernment that something is an urgent matter, that something is an occasion that cannot be missed. Esther's eyes are upward, not inward. She's not looking at the chance that she might die or suffer. 
but she's looking at the fate of others and the urgent situation before them. Listen, there are days when you may make a decision that alters the course of your entire life. That's why it's important every day of your life to keep your eyes open and not to miss the opportunities that God gives you to make a difference. Esther is seizing this moment at this time. So in verse 5 of chapter 7, it tells us, Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? The king is angry because an assault on the queen is an assault on the king. His wife is an extension in this culture of his kingship. So someone who plots against his wife is undermining him. Verse 6, and Esther said, to identify this person, a foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. It is a bad day to be Haman. She's pointing the finger at the only other person in the room who's standing right there. Haman thought he was going to dinner with the king and the queen. He has got his phone out. He is ready to tweet it. He's ready to post it to Instagram. He is ready to update his Facebook status. But don't miss what Esther is doing in this moment. She is identifying herself as one of God's people. Haman wants to kill all of God's people. Esther is identifying herself with those same people. I want to challenge you to live as Esther chose to live in this moment. She really has nothing to gain by identifying herself with the people of God. There's no reward. There's no benefit from adding your name to the list of the names of people who are going to be murdered by this cruel uh, regime. Esther is counting it a great privilege to be numbered among God's people and to be part of God's family. Now, I think it's a good point. We still got some more text to read, but I think it's a good point to to stop it for just a second at this point of the narrative. And I want to share it with you because we're looking today at how Jesus is a better Esther. And I think it's important for us to see some things we can learn from Esther so far in this narrative. First, we learn that divine sovereignty and human responsibility work together. <coughs> These two things, God's sovereignty and our responsibility, are like two pedals on a bike. We do our part, and God does his part. You see, God is at work in the story of Esther. And so far, we haven't really seen the visible hand of God. We haven't seen a miracle. We haven't seen a prophet or heard a prophet speak. We haven't seen God appear out of the sky. God's been working behind the scenes. But now, God starts to work through Esther. She's working with God. Divine sovereignty and 
human responsibility work together. I want to encourage you this morning, as I've tried to for a few weeks now, that even when you cannot see God's hand at work, we must trust that God is always at work behind the scenes, that God is always accomplishing. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for this world. God has a desire for your life. And just because you cannot see the hand of God at this moment, it doesn't mean that God is not working. You don't stop doing what you're called to do. Keep doing what God's called you to do. God is doing his part. You can rest assured and you will see it one day. But until you see it, keep doing your part because divine sovereignty and human responsibility, they go together. They work together for God to accomplish his purpose. A second thing we see, we learn from Esther at this point in her story, is that God puts people in positions of power so that they can help the powerless. The people of God in this text are powerless in this situation. They're not living in a democracy. They're in a dictatorship. The people have absolutely no power. Esther, however, does have access. She is the one person in the community of God's people who has access to the king and who can speak to the king. Haman used his power to indulge himself. Esther used her power in such a way as to speak up for those who had no voice and to give power to those who had no power. Listen, some of you in your various spaces and spots in life, God has put you in positions of power and authority. And it's different degrees and different contexts, but God has placed you in positions of influence and to to have that influence. God does not put us in those positions for ourselves. He puts us there for others. He puts us there to give a voice to the voiceless and to represent those who have no representation. Esther shows us that God will put people in power so they can help those who are powerless. And then Esther also teaches us that we're to care for all people and especially God's people. Hear hear my heart this morning We should love all people. We should serve all people. We should do good to all people because every single person is made in the image of God and is loved by God. And this is especially true for God's people, the family of God. Paul writes this curious verse in Galatians. Well, he writes a lot of curious verses in his writings, but this is one of them in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. In giving instructions to followers of Jesus, he says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us serve everyone. Let us be available to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
Esther, queen of Persia, cares about all the people that live in her nation, but she's especially concerned about God's people. Who will protect them? Who will serve them? Who will represent them? Do you care about all people? Do you care especially about God's people, or are you overlooking them to serve yourself? Let's jump back to the text. Verse 6. The finger's been pointed at Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen, and the king arose in his wrath. Do not miss this picture of a king who has wrath against his enemy. Don't miss the parallel between this verse and our situation before God. Jesus Christ is a king. He is a better king than King Xerxes in every way. Jesus Christ is a king and he has wrath against his enemies. And we are by nature children of that wrath. We are his enemies by the fact that we are born into this world as sinners. We are are all like Haman when our life begins. We are selfish. We are proud. We are living for ourselves. Xerxes is not a perfect king. Xerxes does not have a perfect wrath. Xerxes will not enact a perfect justice. But Jesus is a perfect king with a perfect wrath who will enact a perfect justice on his enemies. If you this morning are not a friend of Jesus, you are an enemy enemy of Jesus, and you should be terrified to stand before King Jesus as his enemy. Look, people don't want to hear this message, and this will not win me any preaching awards, but I don't have any in the first place, so that's all right. We live in a culture that tells us that we are basically good people and that God is all love and that there's no wrath that God has for his enemies. And that simply is not true. The Bible speaks to the wrath of God over 600 times. More than it speaks to the love of God. Yes, God is a God of love, but God is also a God who has wrath for those who do not surrender themselves to his kingship. He is a king whose wrath will only be abated when it's poured out upon someone to receive it. You see, things do not end well for Haman, as we'll see. And you may face the same face that he faced. And if you do, it's not going to end well for you. You need to know that you will stand in the presence of a great king, King Jesus, and he will have a perfect wrath. And if you're not a part of his family, you should be terrified to stand before him. And the king, verse 7, <coughs> the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking, and went into the palace garden. 
But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther, his wife, was. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? If it was possible to go from bad to worse, it just did. As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. How ironic. The only thing Haman ever wanted was to see the face of King Xerxes. And they covered his face in shame and disgrace so that he could not see the face of the king. Watch. Haman had the right longing, but he had the wrong king. He had the right longing, desire, but he had the wrong king. Jesus is our king. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 <clears throat> tells us that one day we will see him face to face. That means that today we are to live in the face of God. The, the, the old people in the, the, the church fathers way back in the day when they spoke and wrote Latin, and everything, they called this quorum Deo, living in the face of God. We are to know that set before us is the face of God and that God sees and God knows and God hears all that we say and do and that one day we will see King Jesus face to face and he will be smiling to welcome us or we will see his furious wrath in the eyes of this king. The question needs to be asked this morning, who is your king? For whose approval do you long? We are about to look at the death of Haman. And as we look at the death of this one man, we must remember the death for every man and woman because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. You are going to die. Remember, there is a date set for you. You are living now in the face of God. When you die, you'll be standing face to face with God. Haman was not ready to die and face his ultimate king. Are you? Are you ready? Then Harbona, verse 9, one of the eunuchs in attendance of the king said, moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose words say the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Haman had prepared the gallows and built them in his yard to see the death of his enemy. One day he finishes constructing them, and the very next day he is hung upon his own cross in his own yard in front of his own 
family. And what is more tragic than that is that he closed his eyes in life and he opened them in death to see a much bigger and more holy king with a much deeper wrath and a much more perfect justice. One of my responsibilities in the face of God as your pastor is to prepare you for your day of death. Are you ready? Are you prepared to die? Does the wrath of King Jesus still burn against you? You see, in one single day, two contrasting things happen. Salvation and condemnation. Haman was condemned. We have no evidence that he ever repented of his sin or apologized to God for his sin. We have no indication that he ever received forgiveness. He never joined God's family. Not everyone, listen, not everyone who dies goes to a better place. Some people stand face to face with God who is a king whose wrath burns against them and that wrath is only abated through justice meted out against that sinner forever. The Bible speaks of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and right now at this moment as we are gathered in this air-conditioned building today as we go about our lives some 2,000 years later Haman is experiencing all of that as the wrath of God has been meted out against him for over 2,000 years and it will be for eternity. The reason Haman was condemned was because he was a sinner who refused to identify himself with God by surrendering himself to God. God's people were saved because Esther identified herself with her people. All of this is a picture of the coming of Jesus because Jesus is a better Esther. The great king against whom we have sinned and whose wrath burns against us, he got off his throne. He entered into history as one of God's people. He identified him uh, himself as one of God's people, the same race of people that Haman sought to destroy. Unlike Esther, King Jesus lived without sin. Esther is admirable in many ways, but Esther is not a perfect savior, and neither are you, and neither am I. Jesus identified himself with people, and because he identifies with his people. All of God's people are safe. Imagine this scenario. Just picture this for just a second. The moment, <clears throat> the moment that Xerxes looked at Haman and said, take this man and kill him. In that moment, what would have happened? Can you imagine if Esther had a stepped up and said, wait a minute, king, wait a minute. I choose to forgive Haman. Let him live. I will die in his place. That is exactly what Jesus did for us. We are Haman. We will either die in our sin or we will embrace the death of Jesus for our sin. 
the wrath of God against my sin is either going to be abated through my punishment or through the punishment Jesus suffered for me on the cross. And many years ago, I placed my faith in Jesus, trusted his work, and simply received the gift of salvation that he offered by grace. Nothing I did. And his wrath against my sin was applied in my life, but not against me, against Jesus. See, pastor, it doesn't sound fair to Jesus. That's why we sing amazing grace, not amazing fairness. It's amazing grace that God would do that for us. Do you know Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you living in the face of Jesus? Have you applied his death for your sin to your life? Or will he punish you for eternity for your own sin because you're not trusting in what Jesus has done? You will either metaphorically hang on your own cross for your own sin like Haman did. Or you'll apply the death of Jesus who hung on a cross in your place and for your sin. God's people were spared physical death because Esther identified with them. Praise be to God this morning that God's people, myself included, are spared from eternal death because Jesus identifies with us. Would you bow your head right where you are? In just a second, we're going to sing. As we're singing, we're going to stand together, we're going to sing, and, and this is going to be your opportunity. We call this a time of commitment and invitation. These questions that you've heard asked before you today, I pray that you've heard these questions and that you've answered them in your heart. Some of you maybe have had to answer those questions by saying that Jesus is not your king. That there's never been a time in your life when you have accepted the gift of salvation that he offers to you. His death on the cross is meaningless in your life if you don't put your faith in the one who died for you. But today you would say, Pastor, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want to be identified as his people. I want to be counted as part of his family. If that's your situation today, when I pray in a few moments, you just kind of tune me out and you pray right where you are to God. There's no magic words to say, no magic prayer formula to follow. As best as you know how, as best as you can. Share with God your admission that you're a sinner. Admit, agree with him on what he said about you and your sin. Confess to him your belief that he lived the life you could not live and died on the cross to pay the debt of your sin. Place that faith in him. Trust in his work for your salvation and simply ask him to save you. Receive the gift of salvation that he's offering you today.
No hoops to jump through. Jesus has hung upon the cross. He has paid it all. Maybe you have made that decision in the past. You are a follower of Jesus. Does your life reflect the fact that he is your king? Maybe your next step is the step Dalton took today, and that is to publicly identify yourself as part of God's family through baptism. Maybe God is calling you to this particular specific family of God that we call First Baptist Church in Milton. And he would have you join this family of faith so that you can join others in this church as the hands and feet of Jesus. Maybe you sense the need this morning to simply rededicate yourself and your service to the Lord. To live with the courage that Esther had. To seize the opportunities that God is giving you to show him to a lost and dying world. I don't know what step you need to take next, but I know that you can take it today. All I will ever ask of you is to put your yes on the table. We'll let God decide what table it is. But you put your yes on the table and follow Jesus today. Father God, I thank you that Jesus is a better Esther who lived a life without sin and died so that the wrath of the great king the wrath of God himself would be satisfied in his sacrifice. But Father, that sacrifice has to be applied to our lives and salvation. So I pray for anyone in this room who's never taken that step, that they would, even at this moment, cry out to you for their salvation. Lord, whatever you're placing upon our hearts today, we simply want to be responsive and say yes. To do what you're calling us to do so we can be the people that you've called us to be. Have your will in our lives today. Have your way with us during this time of commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. You move as God leads you. Amen.